By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. House prices surged over the last few years, rising at double-digit annual rates in a number of large economies. We're probably all familiar with the reasons why. The COVID pandemic drove people in search of new areas to live and larger living spaces. At the same time, low mortgage rates and government support helped make home buying easier, while builders just couldn't keep up with the demand. But as interest rates have risen at a rapid clip and economic growth has slowed, prices are falling across advanced economies and the risks of steeper price drops are growing. So today we ask, what does the end of the housing boom mean for inflation, the economy and housing affordability? I'm Jennifer Wong and this is Moody's Talks The Big Picture where we answer the big questions facing credit markets. On today's show, I'm joined by a return guest to the podcast, Madhavi Vocal from Moody's Credit Strategy and Research Team, and first-timer, Louisa DeCatano from our Structured Finance Group. A warm welcome to you both. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. Happy to be here. Madhavi, first, can I start with you? Can you tell us why the pandemic era housing booms just didn't last? Yes, for the same reasons, Jennifer, that you pointed to, which is uh, mortgage rates are no longer uh, very low uh, and people are re-engaging in in-person activities. Uh, the driver of uh, pandemic era de- demand for housing, uh, which was search for space, uh, simply no longer um, exists. It's not a big factor anymore. Uh, And uh, high mortgage rates are a constraint on how much uh, house uh, people can afford. And we're seeing house price growth slow in a number of markets. Which markets in Europe, Madhavi, are you expecting to see the largest price corrections this year? So we expect a 3 to 8% uh, correction, Jennifer, uh, in the UK for the reasons that we discussed. Uh, on the other hand, for uh, France, uh, we uh, are penciling in uh, no growth uh, in house prices uh, and not a, a sort of a one to minus one uh, range around our uh, zero growth base case uh, forecast. There are countries like Spain and Italy where prices haven't quite risen um, as uh, quickly, uh, where again, uh, we don't uh, expect prices to uh, fall uh, by very much. Now, some of this reflects the differences in the structure of the mortgage market, I believe. I'm in the UK where we see a lot of short-term fixed or variable rate mortgages. And in contrast, in France and Germany, we see more longer term fixed rate mortgages, which make them less sensitive to interest rate rises. Is that right, Madhavi? That's right. The situation is different. The markets are different. The specifics uh, of the mortgage uh, contracts are different. And um, as a result, we we do have some differentiation uh, in our expectation for price growth across different markets. And even in the U.S., Louisa, we see regional differences, don't we? What are some of the key regional differences you see? Yeah, we've seen some really dramatic differences in the pace of house price appreciation uh, the past, you know, couple of years. Um, some areas in the Sun Belt uh, have gone up, you know, 40, 50 percent in two years, whereas some other areas have stagnated or even declined, you know, I'm thinking about San Francisco. So we still expect to see a great deal of variability across the U.S., but we 
expect even in those areas that will see the greatest decline, we expect to end peak to trough above pre-pandemic levels. So a fairly um, positive picture. Mm. And linking this back to the outlook for inflation and the economy, Monavi, so housing costs or rents are in the U.S. CPI and the big increase in rents we've seen coming out of the lockdown has really been helping to push up inflation. So then will falling house prices help tame inflation and get the economy back on track? Well, partially, uh, shelter costs account for about a third of uh, headline CPI in the U.S. Uh, and for homeowners, uh, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics calculates shelter costs based on what it would cost uh, uh, households to rent a similar home to the one they, they live in. Um, since uh, rising house prices came alongside rental costs, shelter inflation has risen steeply over the last few months. Uh, but now how House prices and rents on new leases are moderating. Uh, so we do expect uh, housing inflation to crest uh, and begin to fall uh, sometime uh, in the coming months, uh, definitely by middle of this year. Uh, that said, that's not the only uh, factor pushing inflation up, uh, uh, but it's a significant factor. So we are seeing these house price declines and we might be thinking of comparisons with the global financial crisis in 2008 when we saw sharp declines in house prices in several countries, including the U.S. Uh, Louisa, why do you think this pullback will be different from what we saw then? Yeah, I think it will be very different for a number of reasons. You know, first and foremost, underwriting is a lot tighter today than it was, you know, between 2003 and 2007. So very dramatic difference. And part of that also is a function of the regulatory environment uh, being different today. In the U.S., I would say the biggest uh, difference is the ability to repay rule that was introduced in the aftermath of the financial crisis uh, that requires lenders to gather information, consider and document a borrower's ability to repay. So that, that's a very strong support for uh, for tighter underwriting and more careful underwriting. Uh, but there are other things, uh, you know, tighter appraisal requirements and um, servicing uh, approaches that are different also from what we saw before the uh, global financial crisis. And from your perspective, Malavi, why is this time different? Yeah, in addition to everything Luisa pointed to, uh, they, as and we discussed, unique pandemic factors led to housing uh, boom uh, this time around. Uh, and uh, underwriting standards, as Luisa said, uh, have remained strong. So systemic risk to banks and larger financial institutions from falling ho house prices is not quite the same as the global financial crisis. But most importantly, household balance sheets are quite strong this time around. Um, and that uh, should be uh, another supporting factor. Now, another thing we talk a lot about is affordability. Housing has arguably become much less affordable on many measures, including house prices to income over the last decade. Madhavi, now that the housing market is cooling, will this bring some relief to home affordability? So we think affordability will improve, uh, but it will still remain uh, stretched. And even in markets where house prices are declining, high borrowing costs and tighter financial conditions, uh, we think will continue to limit affordability. And so if house affordability still is strained, Louisa, what does that mean for mortgage lending? 
Yeah, so there, there are a couple of dynamics uh, going on. You know, one is if you take the same borrower who could have bought a home two years ago but did not, and that same borrower uh, tries to get a mortgage today on the same home, their mortgage will come with a higher loan-to-value ratio and a higher debt-to-income, meaning, you know, debt service over the borrower's income, than it would have been two years ago. So for the same person now, that individual is entering into a weaker credit quality mortgage, all else equal. So there's that dynamic going on. Um, but also arguably lenders could have an incentive to go down the credit spectrum in an environment where volumes have come down, you know, dramatically about 50% uh, in terms of total origination volumes between uh, 2021 and 2022. But then the flip side of that is that we are arguably at the peak of the market uh, or slightly past the peak, which is an environment that's riskier for lenders. So we think that these kind of considerations is going to mitigate um, the, uh, the incentive to loosen standards at this juncture. What does this all mean for residential mortgage-backed securities or RMBS, Louisa? Yeah, so first of all, um, Issuance has plummeted in the U.S. Um, issuance was down about 30 percent year over year, 2022 versus 2021. And the last quarter of 2022, it was down 80 percent uh, versus a year before. So um, so very strong impact there. Um, Europe is doing better um, in terms of issuance. We also expect it to be more stable, but the U.S. has been really uh, hit uh, pretty dramatically um, by the, the declining volumes. Um, in terms of underwriting, what I was saying before about, you know, the same borrower uh, now getting into a weaker mortgage, we do see that. And so um, we, we are seeing pools with um, higher loan to values and higher debt to incomes and uh, so marginally weaker mortgages, but still stronger uh, than uh, or, or much, much, much stronger uh, than what we saw in, in sort of the pre-global financial crisis area, as we were saying, you know, underwriting is just marginally weaker than it was at the height of the pandemic. So what are your expectations for performances on mortgages, Louisa? Yeah, so first for the U.S., uh, we are uh, pretty optimistic in the sense that we expect that even in um, a moderate downturn um, scenario, uh, mortgage performance is going to be resilient, really for two key reasons. One, what uh, Madvi was saying before about the, the rate environment, everybody who could refi did refi the past two years. And so most American homeowners are locked into long-term fixed rate mortgages at very low rates, uh, which is obviously a positive. And the other dimension is that uh, the vast majority of mortgages have uh, strong, you know, positive equity today uh, because of increasing house prices. And we don't expect that even uh, with, again, a moderate decline in house prices that that's, that's going to change in any material way. So, so both dimensions support credit quality. Now, Europe um, is is a little uh, different in some respects. So I think similarities, still strong uh, borrowers, strong credit quality still benefited from house price appreciation. We only expect a moderate decline, but there are some countries, as Madvi talked about before, that are more subject to the rate reset risk. So there we could see more inconsistent performance. Now, before we end the podcast, I'd like to ask a final question. So what other housing market developments are you watching over the next few years? And Louise, I'm going to start with you. 
Sure. I would say the cost of climate change is something that I think will impact housing and housing policy um, going forward. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, first, uh, um, do the homeowners and um, lenders really have the tools today to estimate what that cost is going to be? That, to me, is a big question. And, for example, the cost of insurance, you know, who can forecast the cost of insurance over 10 years? Um, and then other dimensions of the cost of climate change, for example, where are we going to choose to build and rebuild, right? And a lot of that is related to migration. And then another question would be who bears the cost? You know, to what extent is that going to be the individual homeowner as opposed to taxpayers, you know, municipalities, states, and ultimately at the federal level, right? Even folks who are not in the areas that are most affected may end up having to bear some of those costs. So I think all of these questions again, will, will have a big impact on, on housing in the future. A lot of questions to think about on climate change. Now, Madhavi, what about you? We will be watching how the overall economic outlook evolves, especially the outlook for labor markets. As we've discussed, Jennifer, interest rates have risen. Central banks are likely to keep financial conditions quite tight, which will influence labor market outcomes, but also temper demand for housing. Marvi, Louisa, thank you so much for the discussion and for joining today. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Wong, and this is News Talks, The Big Picture. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.